I think ultimately you're not really worrying about who's the Australian goat. You, you, you're trying to be the best you can on the world stage. I think a lot of people worry too much about being trying to be good in their own country. I'm kind of trying to do the best I can on the world stage. That's Ozzy Myler, 3K, 5K, half marathon sensation. Stewie McSwain, who joined us last week in quarantine. He's still in quarantine now, and we're releasing it as a bonus podcast. He talks about his globe-trotting, Diamond League-winning Olympic final season, his training in Australia, how he never thought he'd make a national team, and yes, even the first time he met a young steeplechaser named Jakob Ingebrigtsen. And it's your final chance to save 10% on the Airwave Performance Mouthpiece. Yes, this is a mouthpiece that could help you run faster. It was designed and launched in late 2020 after 16 years of research. It fits along your bottom teeth and pushes your jaw just forward enough to create the optimal airway opening, which means increased endurance, can reduce your respiratory rate, which means less lactic acid production, faster recovery times by reducing cortisol buildup by up to 50%. You got to check it out. Airwave, A-I-R-W-A-A-V.com. Use code LR10. We'll put a link in the show notes to save 10%. It's $39.99 only. Save 10% with code LR10. Here's Stewie McSwain. Hello, everyone around the world, wherever you're listening, watching to this, to a special live edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Got myself, Jonathan Gold. We've got my boss, Robert Johnson. You may notice we have a guest tonight. This man is familiar to anyone who watched a Diamond League meet this year because he ran in 10 of the 12 Diamond Leagues. He was seventh in the Olympic 1500 meter final in Tokyo. He's the Australian record holder in the 1500 meters, the mile, and the 3000 meters. It is, of course, Stewie McSwain, who is joining us from a two-week hotel quarantine in Melbourne. So, Stewie, how are you doing, this, uh, I guess, this morning for you guys in Melbourne? Uh, yes, yeah, so it's 10 a.m. here. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, you've had quite a season. Australian records in multiple events, Olympic finalist, and a couple Diamond League wins as well in Oslo and Brussels. And you're pretty much at the front of every Diamond League you're in. I, I can't remember you having many bad races and if you look at the stats it's pretty crazy you ran 18 races this year in 10 countries five wins australian records in the mile and the 1500 348 and 329 eight times under 335 and actually looked it's a step down from 2019 because you raced 21 times that year so 18 this year but how are you feeling are you on your are you allowed to run in quarantine how are the legs feeling at the moment um, so yeah, I'm in, obviously I'm in hotel quarantine, so I'm just um, slowly getting back into training. Um, it's obviously a little bit compromised at the moment, just being in the hotel for two weeks, but um, I've luckily got a treadmill today, so I can start doing some jogging um, at some point when I kind of feel like over the next two weeks, and then I'll kind of get back into full training in probably a week or two once I'm out, slowly build back, and then start getting ready for 2022 um, when I'm back outside the hotel. Yeah. 
And we saw you made, uh, you, you know, you ran the half marathon, Great North Run, a couple weeks ago. And I think, did you take some downtime after that? I saw you were at, some, you were at a Champions League game in London. What did you get up to in your, in your break? Um, so, yeah, I kind of, I had that week before I flew back to Australia. So I kind of did all the things you don't really get to do through a season. Kinda, um, got to have a few quiet beers with mates. Got to go watch the EPL um, soccer. So I'm a Chelsea man. So it was cool going to watch watch them live. Um, and, yeah, just kind of caught up with a few mates. I'm lucky, lucky enough, I've got a few Aussie mates over in London. So um, I had a pretty fun week. Um, and then, obviously, had, yeah, five or six days there. And then made the 20. I think it's 26 hours travel back to Australia. And then, yeah, I've been in the hotel since then for about three or four days. So um, I think I've got 10 days left in a hotel and then I'll be back um, back in Melbourne, which will be nice. Stuart, thanks for joining us. I've got to ask about the quarantine. I mean, this is, is an American. I mean, maybe I should say dumb American because those of you a little history le- or population lesson, Australia has about 20 million people. So the U.S. is 15 times nowhere John, how many times bigger are we? We're 330 million, so that would be... More than 15, I think. Don't worry about the math. A little bit more than 15 times. But we're in terms of COVID deaths, we are 574 times ahead of you. We have over 600,000 deaths. You guys only have 1,000. You guys are, are doing it hardcore. You literally can't leave the hotel? Like, not at all? You can't go anywhere? Can't go for a run? Nothing? Yeah, so I'm literally, for those 14 days, I'm in my hotel room. So I've just got one room with a bathroom, and I'm stuck in there, no leaving um unfortunately the window doesn't open either so you're kind of a little bit restricted they kind of will drop meals three times a day so you'll, they'll drop a meal um they'll knock and then you gotta wait two minutes and then you can go collect, wear a mask and go collect your meal so um yeah it's kind of we- a weird experience um luckily enough the hotel i'm in is not too bad so i've got good wi-fi good tv um i was able to get a treadmill in today so i'm able to do some training so um yeah it seems kind of a pretty bare two weeks but i think it's worthwhile if I get to get out and I'm back in Australia in my normal life. So I think that's kind of keeping me motivated to get through the 14 days. So even if you're vaccinated, it doesn't matter. It's still, still two weeks for everybody. No, nah, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, whatever you got to do the two weeks, whether you're quarantined or not quarantined. Uh, sorry, vaccinated or not vaccinated. You still got to do the two weeks quarantine. There's no exceptions. This is a, a hard fought rule. Um, so I was kind of, I knew it was going to be the case when we went over at the start of the year that I was going to have to, do two weeks in quarantine. So I'm hoping maybe the end of next season, I won't have to, but I guess we'll wait and see depending on how COVID goes. And, and who picks up the bill? Do you have to pay for it or does the government pay for your hotel? How does that work? Uh, so unfortunately, if I had went back straight after the Olympics, the, the Aussie Olympic Committee would have paid for it, but because I stayed on, you you have to fork out the money for it. So I think it's it's probably three grand Australian. So I think that's probably about 2,000 US for the 14 days in here. So that kind of hurts that you're paying to stay in a hotel for 14 days, but um, you know, in, in hindsight, it's definitely worth it once you get back in. I'll, I think I've got 10 days and I'm back in my house, so that'll be kind of nice. Yeah, and we one thing we talked about actually right before we, you know we started the podcast was there was an earthquake in Melbourne this morning. I'm just wondering if you could maybe repeat what you told us earlier. Like, how did you handle that? Was that a surprise? You sound okay. You sound like you made through okay. Um, yeah, it was obviously a surprise. I think I've never I've lived in Melbourne a long time. Um, and I've never felt an earthquake. So I was kind of just lying in my bed watching TV. Um, and then my TV system kind of started shaking and the walls started shaking. I was like, what's going on here? Has like someone crashed into the hotel or something? Like what's going on? Um, and then obviously I was, 
I flicked it over to the news and saw that breaking news there was an earthquake in Melbourne. So I kind of added up a little bit um, what was going on. But yeah, I was kind of confused for a while trying to work out what was what was happening. But um, yeah, fortunately, I think um, no no one was hurt and we kind of got through it on skate. But it was just kind of something you, you probably don't think about, um, especially being in Melbourne. I don't, yeah, as I said, I, I've never had been involved here when there's been an earthquake. So um, it surprised me as much as anyone. But um, yeah, I think we got through it okay. Yeah, that's good to hear. Uh, and this is the first time you've been back to Australia since when? So before the first um, the first Diamond League of the season, so I think it was Gateshead. So the start of May, um, we obviously spent a month or two um, in Europe, flew over to Tokyo, spent about a month in the pre-camp in Tokyo there, came back, spent another month or so, maybe six or seven weeks back in Europe, and then, yeah, finally back to Australia. So it's probably been yeah, four, four and a half months away from home. Um, so, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to Australia, that's for sure. Is that pretty typical for you when the you know when the European season starts in May that you'll just be over for the entire time, or do you ever go back in between in the past? Uh, I think it is pretty typical, but I think just with COVID, we probably as athletes we can't really afford to fly home and spend two weeks in a hotel, kind of detrain, um, and then have to retrain and then go back over. So um, just as when you're kind of um, racing at the level we're trying to race at, I think you can't really afford to have two weeks off. So. Um, it probably isn't an option to go home at any point in the season. You kind of got to stick it out. Um, we're luckily enough, uh, our manager, Nick Badoya, has a house in London, uh, manager and coach. So we're able to kind of base there and use that as uh, kind of our home um, and jump around to races from there. So we're lucky we've got that facility. Um, it's in an awesome spot for training. So it kind of makes it a little bit easier that we do have a place where we can kind of settle between races and get some good training done. Because um, otherwise, yeah, I think it would be a hard slog spending, yeah, Four four months away, living out of a living out of a hotel and a suitcase. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that people like about you, Stewie, is that you race a lot, and you know, a lot like we said, most of those races are very high level, and it's kind of different because over here in the US, you know, the Bowman Track Club that's one of our top groups, and they are famous for not racing very often at all. I'm curious. What you know? Why do you guys race so much? Is it just because you're overseas and you might as well make the most of it, or is there a lot? Are there other reasons why Nick has you run so many races overseas? Um, I think at the end of the day, it's kind of he leaves it up to the athletes. I kind of probably don't like training as much as I do racing. So I think if there's a racing opportunity, especially if it's a good race, if it's a diamond league level, I want to be in it. I want to be racing the best guys. Um, same where I'm at. So, um, yeah, if 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 the race fits in with our plan, um, I think yeah, he'll. He'll often let me do it. Um, and obviously, we train for a lot of months when we're back in Australia. We do a lot of the base training where we probably don't race as much. Um, we probably, like, we won't have indoors this year purely because we can't get over with having a quarantine on the way back. So um, I'll be putting in a lot of training. So when I get to Europe, I feel like I'm, I'm strong enough at that point that I can kind of afford to race a lot. Um, and I think the race is a good training as well. I feel like each race, I probably progressively get a little bit better throughout the season. So, um, yeah, I kind of kind of like training for a bit in the off season back in Australia, building on my base fitness. And then once I get over there, slowly using the races to kind of sharpen up and hopefully get ready for the the championship each year. Yeah. That's what I'm curious about with all that racing, like during the summer, how many times, how much are you doing workouts in between? Uh, I think post Olympics was a lot harder just because we had to go to the States for like for pre-Fontaine and then we had to go back to Europe. So it was a little bit harder to get workouts in. So I think, Maybe between races, you kind of just jogging mainly and then fitting a workout um, leading into the race, trying to sharpen it up. But I think towards the end of the season, you're probably not training too much. You kind of 
hoping the fitness is still there. I think obviously the half marathon, I probably hadn't quite done the preparation I needed to. I think I'd only done a couple of workouts after pre because um, I was just jumping around racing. So I think if I do another half marathon, I'll have to kind of do a few weeks more training leading in, a few more of the thresholds, the, the longer track workouts, try and get used to the pounding of the road. Um, but I think, yeah, it kind of once the Olympics were done, I, I wanted to do as many races as I can. Um, as I said, I love racing. So um, if there was a, a good meet, I wanted to be in it. So I think that was kind of the outlook we took. Can you take a step back, you know, look, look at the year as a whole? I mean, how, how would you, what kind of grade would you give yourself? I mean, it was your first Olympics. People forget about that. You've been racing so prolifically in the circuit. You'd never been in the Olympics before. It was your best finish at a global championship. I think you were seventh in the 1500. Um, <clears throat> 2019, you didn't make the final in the 1500 and you were 12th in the 5000. 2017, a lot of Americans may not realize this. He actually ran the steeplechase. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, a bunch of, Amer- bunch of Aussie records, um, 1500 and mile. Seventh in the Olympics. Overall, what do you think of the season? Um, yeah, I think it was a good season. I feel like I was able to kind of probably improve a bit on 2020. Um, like I was, I feel like 2020 I was able to improve on 19. So I'm hoping I can keep chipping away each year and slowly get closer to the top. I think, um, yeah, I think it was a step up in 2020. So I think overall I'm happy with the season. I feel like consistently I was able to bring a high level to a lot of the competition I was doing. Um, I feel like I improved tactically or whatever. Um, ultimately, the Olympics was the biggest focus this year. So I was kind of a little bit disappointed I wasn't able to medal. That was kind of the big aim. To Obviously, you're going into Olympics trying to win, but a medal would have been nice. But I think I left it all out there um, in the Olympics. I feel like I get, once you have that Aussie Guernsey on, you're giving 110%. And that's what I did. So um, looking back, I don't really have any disappointments. It's kind of just moving forward to 2022, I feel like. Um, I feel like I'm getting close where I'm competitive with the top guys in the world, but I still think I've got to get, get a little bit better at the one percenters. I've just got to keep adding another year on top of the training I've been doing, um, work on a few little deficiencies in, I feel like maybe my speed at the end of races I could work on or whatever. So there's things I can definitely improve on. And that's the exciting part. I think I still can get a, a little bit better for next season and hopefully keep progressing um, for the seasons after that. Yeah, when we were talking to you in Tokyo, I mean, one of the things, I think it was before the final, after the semifinals, you were optimistic in the fact that you were like, look, every time I race on the circuit, I'm in the top three. So I'm hoping that continues tomorrow um, or in the final. But, you know, you were seventh. I actually looked it up. In the 1500, you were top three every time, except for Monaco, where you were fourth, and you ran 329.51. And then the Olympics, where you were seventh. Mile on down, you were top three every time out. Um, So pretty consistent there. You know, that would be the one knock on you is some people, you know, and one of these races, I think it was, um, yeah, Brussels after the Olympics, when you won that, somebody was on our message board saying, oh, did Stewie finally find a kick? And, you know, that would be the knock on you is you don't have the finishing speed. You said you want to work on that, but how, how do you think you'll improve in that area? Um, I think the big thing for me is just working on the the gym stuff, getting a little bit stronger, uh, probably improving my, my core strength, my flexibility, trying to work on kind of my form when I'm getting t- tired towards the end of races. But I think that, that it, it, it does look a bit easier when you're watching from home. I feel like when you're trying to kick in a 335 race, most guys can kick good. But when you're racing the top guys in a 329, 330 race, it's not quite as easy to close that last 100 as well. But I think, um, yeah, I recognize I'm going to get stronger at that. I feel like Ultimately, I'm probably not as good as a lot of the 15 guys because I'm coming from five, probably the 10K and 5K. Um, so I'm naturally not as quick um, as a lot of the guys who probably are a lot faster over 800. So I think, yeah, I've got, definitely got to improve on it. I've got to kind of – that's definitely something I can work on, and that's what I'll be trying to 
focusing the off season to try and add add that to my arsenal for next season. And yeah, I think it's definitely uh, somewhere I think I can improve, and hopefully, if I can improve that, I can hopefully become a better athlete. One of our you know YouTuber, I think you see a comment on YouTube. They want to know what event are you going to be focusing on in the years to come. I mean, you started off in the steeple. You used to have the national record in the ten thousand. This was sort of your second year when you've really been focused on the fifteen hundred. Do you think that will will continue to be the focus? But I mean, you just tried this half marathon. Was that to see how you would do at the even longer stuff? I mean, <laughs> you were kind of hard to predict. Yeah, I think the half marathon was kind of it was end of season. Um, there was an opportunity to race. I was in the UK. Um, I love Newcastle as a place, um, and I've got a good good relationship with the guys who manage the race as well. So that was kind of just a fun thing to do end of season and kind of see whether I think I can. Um, Kind of, if I did train for it, whether I can hopefully run some good road race in the future, because I'd love to ultimately run a marathon at some point in my career, uh, but hopefully not for a while still. But I think next year I'll still be focusing on the 1500 and 5K. I think the double's possible at World Champs, so I'd love to do both. Um, if I'm able to qualify for the Australian team for both, I'd definitely love to do both there. I think, um, yeah, I think. I'll be, yeah, I think I'll be focusing on both of them. Uh, I kind of like the 15, when sure, uh, when you've done the longer distances, it's kind of nice doing the shorter ones. You're kind of over in three and a half minutes. Probably um, makes it feel a bit easier than doing the long stuff. But I think, yeah, if, if I can, I would love to do both of the next major championship. You be- developed this reputation as a front runner. You know, you like pushing the pace, like the fast races. And I think even, you know, some of the other athletes have picked up on this. Chapter guy had you in to, to rabbit some of his attempts at world records as well. When did you when did you become a front runner? And do you think that's a strategy you're going to continue with moving forward? Um, I think for me, it was kind of simple in the 1500 that I didn't. Obviously, you have a few eight guys who can probably run 143, 144. So for me, it makes no sense jogging around and then trying to outkick them. I've got to kind of run guys off their legs. Um but yeah, I kind of just took took it on a couple of the early season races and then I felt like I was doing pretty well doing it. And I think for me, it kind of makes racing simple. Um, I'm just going out there trying to run my best. Um, if guys can keep up and they can outkick me, fair enough, they deserve to beat me. But um, for me, I think it, yeah, it keeps it simplistic um, and kind of, I feel like I'm always in the race. I feel like when, when, when I am leading races, it's on guys to try and beat you rather than um, you are in about position or whatever. Um, yeah, so I think it, it does keep it pretty simple for me. And I think um, I kind of enjoy it. I feel like you get that adrenaline rush knowing the guys are going to be hunting you, trying to beat you towards the end. So um, yeah, I think it worked for me pretty well this year. Hopefully I can iron out a few more things and take a step ahead going into 2022. Well, I feel like that's something that we've seen in the event more largely, like ever since, you know, Centro won the Olympics in 2016 and 350. And then I feel like since that, the last three championships, the winning time's gotten faster every time. It was 3.32 in London 2017. There was 3.29 in Doha and then 3.28 in Tokyo. Like, do you, what do you think has changed in that event that people are running fast, not just on the circuit, but in the, the championship races too? Is it a response to Centro or is there a different reason for just seeing these really fast times in championship finals? I kind of just think maybe it's the quality of guys you have. I think Chariot showed in Doha when he ran, I think he ran 3.28 to win the final in 2019 in Doha. So um, he probably set the tone to start with. And then a lot of guys realized that um, obviously it's dangerous in those slow races. It's unpredictable. Um, guys who you probably think won't be up there can win races or whatever. So I think the best guys, Tim Chariot, Jakob, they've kind of worked out that um, the best thing to make sure the races are more predictable for them is to kind of take it on and 
coming from the 5k 10k i think quicker races suit me as well so um i'm as long as long as it suits me i'm happy to take on races and i think it's worked for me well this year and hopefully um i can yeah tune a couple of things and hopefully improve on that for next year as well yeah what's your relationship like with uh jacob and chariot like do you talk to them outside of the races or is it just you say hi to them at the meets what's your relationship like um, to be honest, really strong. I think, um, obviously, when we're on the track, you're always trying to beat them. We're fierce competitors. But off the track, I'm good mates with both the boys. I'll um, Often, even when I'm back in Australia, I'll shoot messages between them, just chatting to them, seeing how they're going or whatever. So, yeah, I think any guys you race often on the circuit, you kind of just have a huge respect for them. If they're, if they're good enough to be in the diamond leg races, the guys you're racing, they're obviously amazing athletes. So, um, yeah, especially those two, I love racing them. They're obviously the two best guys in the world. So, I have the utmost expect for them on the track and also off the track. Uh, I think they're both amazing people, um, two of the nicest guys on the circuit. So um, I enjoy not only racing them, but I like, I like, I'll like i sit down and eat with them at meets or whatever if I get the chance, chat to them. So um, I enjoy their company, not only racing them, but yeah, off the track as well. That's awesome to hear. I mean, I was curious also, like one of the guys who made a big breakthrough in your event this year is Muhammad Katir. He ran 328 and I think... I didn't know who he was before this year. I think Robert's the same. Not sure about you, Stewie. Like when you see someone make that big of an improvement, what what do you think? Do you think, oh, congrats for him? Or do you think, oh man, you know, this might be suspicious? Like, how do you view someone who emerges like that? Um, from my perspective, it's hard to say. I think he had the uh Kitir Muhammad had an amazing year. Um, obviously improved a lot. He's a fierce competitor to race. Um, I I enjoy racing him purely just because he's so strong. I think um He's obviously one of the best guys in the world. What we saw in the 1500 5K, um, from, from his, his perspective, was amazing. Um, he's obviously one of the top guys. So, uh, yeah, I think what, his improvement was phenomenal this year. Um, and I'm excited to, to not only race Chariot, Jakob next year, but there's other guys, Katia, um, are going to be hard to beat. So um, I just enjoy having such good athletes in our races and kind of trying my best to beat those guys. Yeah. All right. Now, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Four by mile relay, Australia, Great Britain, Norway, Kenya, USA. Who wins and what's your Aussie lineup? Um, I'd have to go. I think Australia would have a good chance. I think the others are going to be pretty strong as well, but I'd be do, doing the Aussie flag a disservice if I, I didn't back us in for a win. So, um, yeah, I think we, we definitely have a good chance. I think it would be an amazing race. Hopefully, at one point over the next few years, a meet puts on a, a four by 15 and we can all show out and see who would actually win. But um, for our team, I think we've obviously got some other great guys. We've got Matt Ramsden, I think would be in the team, um, who's one of my training partners, um, who's a great athlete as well. Uh, Ollie Hoare had an amazing season, so I think he would have to be in the team. Um, Joy Edwards um, is another good, really good athlete, so they would uh, he would be close to the team as well. We've got Ryan Gregson, Geordie Williams, so we've probably got eight, six, seven, eight guys who possibly could be in the mix to make the team, so I think the depth is there. I feel like in Australia, we're improving on the world stage. So I think in a four by 15, we'd be, um, yeah, we'd be pretty hard to beat. All right. This is great. This is great to hear because the world relays, they used to have a four by 15. They got rid of it. And I feel like, you know, world relays, it's only every two years or something. Like if they add this event back, we, you want to run it. Hopefully we can get some other countries. I think that would be an amazing race. So maybe we need to petition world athletics to bring back the, the four by mile or four by 15. 100% I'd love them to bring it back. I think us Aussie boys would definitely show out if it did come back. So um, fingers crossed at one point over the next couple of years it comes back. Yeah, you also had three of the top 26 guys in the world this year. You at 329. 
Ward 32 and Giant 333. Kenya, though, did have a 328, a 329, and a 330. So they got three of the top seven. But hey, if anyone remembers, wasn't it Chariot John that blew it at World Relays? <laughs> that was his first race in the circuit. He went out in like 51 seconds or something insane. Um, so that, that would be fun. You know, you, you, you talked about Ingebrigtsen, and he's the Olympic champion in the event. He's not known for having great speed, um, you know, and, which is kind of in the same boat that you have. He actually does have an 800-meter PR. I'm looking at your Telestopcha profile here. There's no 800-meter profile PR for you at all. Have you ever raced an 800? And if so, what was your PR, and what do you think you could run one in now, nowadays? Um, yeah, so I think on my actual IAA profile, I've still got my – junior pb i think i was in year 10 in high school and i ran 201 so officially i haven't broken two minutes for the 800 yet so i kind of don't want to run another 800 purely because that's kind of an outlier on all my pbs i think so i would love to kind of keep that because it's kind of funny to see and i actually do have a lot of people messaging me being like how have you not broken two minutes yet what's going on so <laughs> uh surely you're going through quicker than that in a lot of the 1500s um but uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I could run reasonably quick. I think I'd have to do it evenly. I don't think I could go out in 50 seconds and then try and close. I think the lactic would catch up to me too quick. So um, yeah, I'd probably have to try and even split it. But I think based on what the other guys are running, I think I'd, I'd have to run anywhere around 146 or maybe maybe quicker. I would kind of like to do it, but I think if I was going to do an 800, I'd do it in training just to keep that, keep that 201 PB. I'd have to do it, yeah, an unofficial 800 to see what I could run. We could broadcast it live and let's run, and then right when you get to the finish line, we shut it off so nobody knows if you, you know, go to a black screen or something. Keep it a secret. Yeah, we we rerun the we can reuse the title from Kipchoge's event a few years ago, Breaking Two: Stewie McSwain versus the Eight Hundred. The second sub two. Let's see if I can do it. <laughs> when you race all those races in Europe, do you get paid every time out? Like, do you make a lot of money doing that? Like, how, how does that work? Do they still have appearance fees? Um, yeah, obviously on the Dime Lake circuit, you do better than a lot of the other races. I think the prize money pool is a lot higher as well. Um, so yeah, I kind of, there is financial gain in racing a lot, but I think anyone who runs, you, you're not running to make money. You're kind of, you're kind of there cause you love the sport. You love competing. You love turning up and racing the best guys in the world. So, um, for me, yeah, obviously money's not a real factor for me. I'm kind of, kind of love the sport love love racing the top guys so if i'm going to a race i'm not even thinking about the money i'm thinking about trying to do my best trying to show out and kind of um, enjoy the experience because i know as a runner you, your career doesn't last forever so i kind of it's kind of those pinch yourself moments when you're you're in the big races and especially now i've got crowds back as well it kind of um, yeah it's pretty pretty crazy experience to be involved in. i've got to ask you about your steeplechase background because on this podcast for years i've been trying to get jenny simpson to come to her senses give up the 1500, move back to the steeplechase. I feel like it can't be that hard. It, although, you know, I, I only coach the steeplechase. I never had to race it. Oh, that's not true. I, I did race a girl that, on the girls team at Cornell one time, but I had the, I had the female barrier heights. Anyways, most people who, who sort of go in the steeple may not be the top talent. A lot of the people, they're not necessarily the most talented people. It's a little bit easier in the steeple. There's less competition. You're the opposite. Somehow you were in the steeple and then you get out of it and you set a national record at basically every distance. So how did you get in the steeple in the first place and what made you leave it? And is there any chance you would ever go back to it? So the how I got in the steeple was it was 2016. I was a young buck. I would have been, I think, 20 at the time. I remember sitting down with a few of my mates and Nick was there as well. And he kind of 
we kind of worked out that if I was going to make the Olympics, my best chance was in the steeplechase. Obviously, I think I'd run 13.40 at that stage. So I was still a long way off making the 5K. Um, I'd run 28.10 maybe in the 10K. So I wasn't going to make the 10K. So um, I just kind of thought it was my best chance to try and make an Aussie senior team. So that was the reason I, I started doing it. Um, I ultimately missed the Olympics by a couple of seconds in 2016. Um, snuck on the 2017 world team in the steeplechase. So that was actually my first Guernsey. Um, but I kind of wasn't that good at it, I don't think. Uh, my flexibility, I wasn't great at jumping. I was terrible at the water jump. I think I could just run all right between the jumps, and that kind of made me a little bit competitive. So um, once I was able to do other events, I kind of thought, yeah, I'm definitely not doing the steeplechase again, that's for sure. So I don't think I could ever go back. I look at them now, and I, even when you're at meets and you see the barriers, I, they just look so high. I don't think don't think I could do it. Um, I used to hate hate the water jump purely because I'd had – a few tendon injuries um, in my Achilles. So landing kind of used to freak me out a little bit coming out of that water jump. So, um, yeah, ultimately I don't hope that I don't do it again, but I guess you never say never. Robert, uh, it's funny you brought that up because I was just looking at your results, Stewie, from that 2017 Worlds when you made the team. I don't know if you remember, you finished 14th in your preliminary heat, did not advance, but another guy, eighth place in that race. Do you remember who it was? Yeah, so in the other head, it was Jakob Inkebritsen. I kind of remember him qualifying about two weeks before. Like, obviously, I was a new guy from Australia. I had no idea the hype of this guy that he was, like, amazing junior or anything. Um, and I just remember seeing him. Like, he, like, I saw him warming up, and I was like, this guy looks like a kid. Like, how has this guy got the – not only got the qualifier, how has this guy at a senior world champs? And then, obviously, I think he ran around 8.30 in the heat, um, finished way better than me wasn't far off making the final and I was kind of mind blown. I was like, how is this guy so good? But I think in hindsight now, um, looking back from this year, obviously he's Olympic champs. So there were signs that he was always going to be a great athlete. But yeah, I was kind of mind blown when I did see this guy that looked like a, a looked like an absolute kid show out pretty well with a, um, a senior world title. Yeah, I just looked at the results. Yeah, 8.34, he was 8. He was 16 years old at the time running that race. So that's pretty freaking insane to run, <laughs> run at Worlds as a 16-year-old. I, I had totally forgotten that. Yeah, I don't. I mean, it doesn't seem like you don't seem like the type of runner that would be good at the steeple. Just ignoring the athleticism because there's normally people that like, you know, you got to break up that you like to have it run a consistent pace. And it's just the steeple is the opposite of a rhythm race. You're such a good rhythm runner. So, I, I guess I won't. I won't force you to go back to it later in your career. Like I've been trying to get Jenny Sampson to do it. <sighs> Thank goodness. Appreciate it. I got a question. Uh, this came up on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually. We were having a discussion. You versus Craig Mottram, Australian distance greatest of all time. You've got the the mile and the 1,500-meter records. He's got the 5,000-meter record, and he's got a world championship medal. How do you think you stack up to him? What do you think you have to do to sort of surpass him in, in the GOAT discussion for Australian distance runners? Um, I think ultimately you're not really worrying about who's the Australian goat. You, you, you're trying to be the best you can on the world stage. I think, um, yeah, I think a lot of people worry too much about being trying to be good in their own country. I'm kind of trying to do the best I can on the world stage. But I think you look back when I was growing up, Craig was an amazing athlete. I think obviously that two, I think it was 2005 World Champs 5K medal um, was an amazing race. So what he was able to accomplish, he kind of set the tone for the next generation of Aussie distance runners. So. Um, yeah, I think obviously what he, what he achieves amazing, um, but I kind of yeah don't really worry about comparing myself too much to him. I'm kind of trying to trying to do my own thing and focusing on what I can do on my end. 
All right, all right. A little a deft, uh, you know, a little diplomatic dodge of the question there. But I'm curious, uh, like what, okay, goals-wise, like what goals do you have remaining in your career? What do you still want to do? Um, when I actually get asked this a bit, I think at the moment, if my career finished right now, I could be happy with what I've achieved. I feel like I've done a lot more than I ever thought I was possible. Being a, coming up as a junior, I didn't think I'd even make an Aussie team. So ultimately, I'm I'm proud of what I've been able to achieve in the sport. But I think going forward, I've still got big goals that I, I still dream about. Obviously, I, I would love a championship medal. Um, I think every year we pretty much have an opportunity. So that's kind of what I'm at. At home, I'm in base space training. I don't really have any races on the horizon. I'm kind of – that gets you out each day knowing that everyone else competing for those medals is going to be out training hard as well. So um, I'd love to – yeah, I'd love to win a medal. I think obviously a, a world champs or an Olympic medal would be amazing. So um, that's that's ultimately the big goal. But, um, yeah, if, if I finish my career and I don't have one, I think I'll still look back and be pretty proud of what, what I've been able to achieve so far in the sport and hopefully – um fingers crossed i can hopefully achieve a few more things over the years to come as well all right i want to talk a little about your your coach uh and manager nick Badeau. you know americans i feel like you know he coaches a lot of the top australians and has for many years but a lot of americans don't know a ton about them just because you guys are sort of you know you're based overseas that sort of thing what can you describe what is his training philosophy like um, I think generally his training philosophy is pretty simple. We'll kind of do two or three sessions a week and the rest will just be easy running. Um, and we'll obviously do a long run every Sunday, which will probably range from 90 minutes up to some of the marathon guys might run two and a half hours or closer to three hours, depending on how close they are to a marathon. Um, but yeah, basically I think, uh, our training's a lot about getting aerobically fit. Um, and then obviously we kind of, I think once we get to Europe, we're kind of aerobically fit at that point, And then the races we kind of use, to fine tune um, and kind of get that anaerobic fitness as well. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of it, we're kind of in that low aerobic range, the training we do. We do a lot of, uh, we do at least one threshold a week. We're probably running at 80% heart rate. Um, and then, yeah, a lot of easy running and then maybe only one session where we're kind of hitting that 90% intensity. So, um, yeah, a lot of our training is aerobic um, and I think it works pretty well for the majority of the group. So I think what Nick's been able to set up is not only – um works for one guy but a lot of the other guys obviously we've got an amazing squad um the, the guys we have in, in the melbourne track club we've got 10 15 amazing athletes so i think um, we're lucky with the the personnel we have um and it makes it a lot easier training especially when you're back in australia if it's a bit cold or the weather's not great having guys around you definitely helps you stay motivated that's for sure yeah we got one question from one of our message board posters uh moby he says that Nick said last year you ran 350 without running a single lap in under 60 second pace in training. Uh, is that true? And do you think that speed work is is overrated for milers? Um, yeah, so that's definitely true. Um, I pretty much that being able to run 350 in December was kind of surprising to me because I'd come off. Uh, I, so I finished the season. I think my last race was Hangalo or Doha. Um, went on a Euro trip for about 10 days came back, had two weeks hotel quarantine and then probably had two two months of just consistent base training. So I wasn't doing anything crazy, just two two sessions a week. Um, I hadn't really touched any track work at all. Probably the quick side run is like 64 second laps, so 240 kilometer pace. I was just doing all base base work leading in and then kind of got, did this race because it was back in Tasmania where I'm originally from. So um, I kind of definitely want to do that race, even though I probably wasn't ready to do it. Uh, or I thought I wasn't ready. Um, and yeah, surprisingly ran 350 off 
doing absolutely zero speed work. So I think for me, it's different for a lot of other guys because I'm coming from the, the, the endurance end. So I'm coming from the 10K, the 5K end. So I need to, um, I kind of need to work on that aerobic more than maybe the, a guy doing 1500 from the 800 needs to do more anaerobic stuff. So I also think how I'm built as well, my body can't handle doing a lot of that speed stuff either. So I think it's kind of personally, it doesn't work great for me. Um, but I think obviously it's different for a lot of other guys as well. Does that change for you once you started get into getting into training? Like are you running sub sixty second four hundreds in training? Um, to be fair, not especially in base trades when we're in Australia, it's not often we're running anything under that. Um, when we get to Europe and we're between races, we'll do a couple of sessions where you're probably running fifty seven second pace just to try and kind of emulate the the first lap or two of a fifteen hundred um, to kind of yeah emulating that tightness you'll get from that speed, but yeah, it's not often. We kind of use more of those races to work on our speed. Like for me personally, I know a lot of other guys will do some quick, like do more quick stuff, quick 200s in training um, compared to me. Um, but I think it's also just personally, I can't handle doing that that large amount of speed work either. So it kind of um, suits me not to do it. Um, and yeah, physically, I don't know if I could could handle training like an 800 guy either. How much mileage are you doing and how much does that vary throughout the year? When you're racing a lot, does it come down a lot in the summer or the European summer? Yeah, I think it depends. Um, obviously, when I get out here, I'll be doing a lot lower just because I'll be slowly building back from a bit of time off. But when I'm in Australia, I'll probably run about 160K uh, mo- most weeks, um, depending on if I don't have any races or anything. Obviously, with races, it'll be a little bit less. Um, so I think it's about 100 mile for you, for the US guys. Um, but yeah, when we're in racing season, I think it depends a lot. If you jump in between races, obviously you're probably only running 120 k's during race weeks. Um, kind of, if you, especially for the big races, you're kind of fr- trying to freshen up. And then when you when I'll go to St Moritz or I'll go back to London and train for a week or two, I'll try and go back to that 150, 160 kilometer mark, and then try and top up that fitness again. And then obviously you probably run a little bit less um, during during the races where you're kind of jumping around between countries. I think the big thing for me is just trying to make sure. Every week, I'm trying to get some sort of long run out as well, just to kind of build that build that aerobic fitness. I got another message board question here. This is from Stewie Fan, and he says, "Stewie, with all the respect in the world, you were never an amazing junior. There are a ton of people in your age group who are beating you consistently, right up to the under twenties. With that in mind, what is it about you that saw you get into Nick Bedo's squad without any super impressive results? And how did the transition go to joining his group?" Um, yeah, I think in my junior days, I was lucky enough. I had an amazing coach. Um, he always had the the idea that, um, juniors, obviously it's important to do pretty well, but at the end of the day, you, you want to be a good senior athlete. So I think during, during juniors, we definitely undertrained. We're probably training 10 or 15% um, below what a lot of other guys were. So I think, um, for us to be competitive, like relatively competitive throughout the junior years of that kind of training was, um, yeah, it shows how good of the coach was. Um, and then, I think once once I did move to Nick, I think I was tw- uh, must have been nine and just yeah, I must have been nineteen at that point. Um, I think once I stepped up that training, it maybe took me a while to get used to kind of doing more because up until that point, I was I literally hadn't done a double run. I was kind of just run once a day. Um, I was also working and trying to juggle um, full time uni as well, so I wasn't able to train that much. And then it wasn't until yeah, 2020, uh, 2016 season where. I kind of pulled back on uni a little bit. I um, quit the job I was working at the time. I think I was working 20, 25 hours a week as well um, and kind of went more all in on training and I was kind of 
able to focus more on doing the gym. I hadn't done any gym to that point. Um, and then obviously lifted my running. We started training most days, twice a day as well. Um, so I think that's where the big improvement from juniors came. Um, and then just the consistent year on year, I think I've slowly been able to improve a little bit from that as well. Yeah. How did Nick know to like, did you ask to join the group or did he seek you out? Like how did you, how did that come about? Um, so I, I, I knew him uh, to talk to if I saw him. Um, I, I'd been an all right junior. Like I went to, when I was 18, I went to World Junior Cross. So I was, I was okay. I wasn't anything special. I think I was 86 at World Junior Cross. So I had some talent, but I probably hadn't, hadn't done anything too amazing by that point. But I was lucky enough. I was had a few mates that trained with Nick. I was really close with a guy called Brett Robertson, who's now an Australian marathoner. Um, and he kind of said, oh, you should come down to training. Um, just jump in a session or two. Um, so I asked Nick and he said, yeah, jump in. You seem like a decent guy. So I was just jumping in sessions. I still had my old coach at that point. Um, and then I kind of decided to, to go all in with the Melbourne Track Club guys. I had so much respect for guys like that the squad had, Brett Robertson, Ryan Gregson, Collis Birmingham. Um, and obviously, yeah, it was kind of pinch yourself moment when you're, you're jumping in sessions with those guys just coming out of juniors. And then I kind of, Nick Nick asked if I thought I was even thinking about trying to make Olympics in 2016. And at that point, I was still full-time at uni. I literally hadn't thought, even thought I was a chance. And he said, I think you can make it if you're willing to go all in in 2016 and kind of hold back on uni, hold back on the, the part-time job I was working at the time and kind of focus more on training. And then he put, I think he saw that I had some talent. Um, I could keep up with a lot of the big boys in the sessions at that point. Um, and I was probably, yeah, only 19, 19, um, 19 years old then. So um, he kind of, yeah, asked if I wanted to go overseas at the start of 2016. And I kind of went from there. And then I kind of, yeah, just put a lot more into running. And I think um, the hard work in that 2016, 17, and then I, it probably wasn't until 2018 where I felt like I had a big breakthrough season and then kind of have just improved maybe five, two, three, five percent um, from that 2018 season um, to where we are now and hoping that that pattern can continue. So you, you talked about uni in Australia. Was there any, there must have been some thought, of, I'm sure US coaches must have approached you to come to the NCA. Any thought about that? And if you had come to the US, what school was most interested in, were you most interested in? Um, so yeah, after World Junior Cross, even though I, was, I think I was 86, I still had a, a fair few contact me, but I didn't even really even look at any options. I kind of wanted to, I love Australia, I love Melbourne. So I'd already enrolled for uni by that point. I uh, had already worked out the course I wanted to do, um, enrolled at the end of that year, um, to study podiatry at that point. Um, and then, yeah, I, I didn't even really think about going to college. I kind of had my family in uh, in Australia. had had my friends and family, so I kind of yeah, I didn't even really think about it at all. Obviously, um, I was lucky. I ended up with such a good group, um, the Melbourne Track Club down in Melbourne. Um, so I kind of got lucky in that regard. But yeah, I didn't even really think about going to college. I kind of yeah, love Melbourne and Australia too much, and would would prefer to stay here and study. Um, so yeah, it wasn't didn't really cross my mind at all, to be honest. And one of the message board people wanted to know about your your lifting sessions. Um, what do you do mainly for your strength work? And is there any thought about doing Olympic lifts in the future? Um, no, nah, definitely not. I think uh, anyone who's seen me race, I'm I'm pretty. I'm not that strong a guy. I'm pretty wily and weak, so I kind of do a lot of more coarse, um, like body strength stuff, um, high reps, low weight kind of work. So I try and get in, especially in base season when I'm back in Australia. I try and get in the gym two times a week, um, and might do an additional core session here or there as well. So. Um, I don't do anything too crazy. I just kind of try and consistently tick at least those two sessions a week, um, week on, week out. 
and I think that kind of helps me develop the strength um, as long as the running we do. So uh, over the weekend, when we, were, we do Saturday hill sessions sometimes as well. So I think we get a lot of our strength from that as well. I'm curious, Stewie, you're from King Island originally, which is a small island off the coast of Tasmania, which is itself an island. How long did you live? The census, it says 2016 census population of 1,585 people. So I'm curious, how long did you live there? What was it like running there? What was it like growing up in such a small place? So, yeah, I still say I live there, even though I base most of the year in Melbourne. I'll probably only get back to King Island um, two, two or three weeks a year. Um, my, my parents still live there. They've still got the family farm we grew up on down there. So they've got a Merino um, sheep and Angus beef cattle down there. So when I'm back over Christmas, I kind of will do three weeks of training there and I kind of love getting back. Um, I don't think there's any cleaner air as well to train in. So it's an awesome place to train. But um, me and my twin brother, when we were 12, we kind of um, went over to mainland Australia and went to boarding school. So um, kind of, yeah, from grade seven onwards, so I would have been 13. Um, I lived away. Um, so I went to school in Ballarat. And then when I was 18, I moved down to Melbourne for uni as well. So um, up until 12, I was 100% on King Island. But now these days, even though I'm still a King Island resident, um, yeah, I don't get back too much. Maybe, yeah, max three weeks a year. But it's a cool place. I still have a lot of family and friends down there. So um, even though it's only 1,500 people, I love getting back. I know during the Olympics, um, the whole population were pu- packed into pubs. Um, I was lucky enough to have have a, a chicken parma and a uh, like a drink named after me down there. So I felt the support from back home when I was in Tokyo, that was for sure. That's awesome. All right, Robert, I don't know if you've noticed, Stewie, when you said the words twin brother, Robert's eyes about popped out of his socket because Robert is an identical twin. <laughs> I'm sure he wants to ask you about that. I, I have to. As the slower twin, I mean, I wouldn't even have a job in running if it wasn't for my brother, but I happened to look like him, so people thought I was my brother and – Someone hired me to coach a college team, even though I didn't run in college. I assume your brother is slower than you because he doesn't have any Australian records. Are you guys identical fraternal? What's he up to? Did he ever run? Did he ever beat you? Yeah, so unfortunately, he never ran because he might actually been pretty good. Um, he plays Aussie rules footy um, in cricket back in Australia. So he works full time as a podiatrist as well. So um, we're kind of on different pathways, um, but we don't look the same. He's a lot stronger. Um, a lot bigger than me. I think we're about the same height, so we're both 6'3", um, but, yeah, he's a way stronger build than me. But he's actually a good runner. So, like, I think he ran end of 2020. I kind of um, got him out for – I think he was running twice a week. I'd kind of do one or two Arvo runs with him. And he kind of – so he wanted to see what he could run for 10K, and he ran – I think he ran 33 minutes for a 10K. So, um, obviously, for a guy who probably weighs 85 kilos – Knocking out a 33-10K obviously shows that he's got some ability. So um, based on that natural talent, I'm hoping he doesn't run. Otherwise, he kind of might might knock me off and I won't be around for too long anyway. Wow. We at least got to set up a match race between him and Hassan Farah, Mo Farah's twin brother. I, I think your brother would, would beat Mo Farah's brother. He would certainly beat me. So that's clear. But that's pretty pretty amazing. That's pretty cool stuff. Okay. One of the things – I saw this pop up on Twitter um, – over the week, you know, last week, I think you were, you were not racing anymore. Your season was over, but a McSwain did get a win and it was a horse called McSwain and it won its debut race in Devonport, Tasmania. What do you know about this horse? And can we expect this thing to be front running and breaking Australian records anytime soon? Um, so yeah, that was actually a big surprise to me. So obviously, um, King Island's part of Tasmania, which is the state. So, 
Um, someone named their one of their horses Mick Swain, which is kind of kind of cool. Um, I think he kind of followed a few of my races, which is a pretty cool honor to have. So my dad actually called me the morning it was racing and said, "Did you realize um, a guy told me that he knows the owners of the horse and they named named a horse after you? It's making its debut in Devonport today." Um, so I kind of quickly researched, had a look, saw the horse was um, I think it was fourteen, uh, maybe twelve to one chance to win. So I'm thinking they've named an absolute donkey here. This horse is no good. Like, is this an insult they've named this horse? And then obviously I decided to watch it because I'm in quarantine. I don't know much else going on. So I actually watched the race um, and the horse kind of got out pretty well from the gates, went to the front. Um, and I'm kind of like, oh, it's going to blow up at some point. It's going to it's gonna get caught easy. And it just kept going, led, led from gun to tape and non-caught it. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool to see it win, to be honest. And I'm hoping now it's one in Devonport. Hopefully it can start getting a few bigger races. But. Um, yeah, it's a pretty cool, cool thing to have a horse named after you. So I kind of felt felt pretty honoured that they they were willing to name it after me. Yeah, we there's a terrific tweet uh, from Lockie Morehouse who, you know, he synced up the race with Tim Hutchings calling one of your races. So Robert, I don't know, can we restart this clip and get the audio here because it's it's pretty fun to watch. Uh, Stewie, I thought you were going to say you were your shot was twelve to one. You put down like a couple hundred dollars on it, and you're a rich man now. Nah, I, I didn't touch it honestly because I thought it had it done a trial race. I saw in its profile, and it didn't go well in the trial. So I'm like, yeah, nah, this horse is no good. It's a it's a donkey. It's cool. It's named after me, but this horse is no good. And then yeah, I was kind of like so surprised when I was watching. I was like, why many of these horses catching it yet? And it kind of yeah, just held held strong down the straight. Looked amazing. So I'm hoping once it steps up, hopefully it gets a better race now. Um, and yeah, we can see how it goes. But yeah, I'm excited to kind of. Follow, follow its journey this um this Australian horse racing season. This is, horse is perfect for you. I mean, the, the people are probably calling you a donkey when you're... The second half is Lewandowski in fourth place. Rice going backwards now as McSwain looks downwards and drives harder again for the line. They're not going to close on him. The fatigue is there. The tactic has worked. He's dragged this thing out. Pretty amazing. I mean, it's like you. He wasn't a great young horse, but now he's rising to the top. I wish I had horse. The, the the bad thing about it is, I because when I was looking up his profile, I kind of wanted to see what the horse looked like because it's obviously when you're watching the race, it's hard to get a close up of what it looked that looks looks like. So I kind of googled it and I I got a photo of it and I was like, mate, this horse is an absolute stallion, like built so good or everything. And I sent it to my sister and then she messaged me back and she said, no, nah, that's the wrong horse. You, that's a picture of its dad sent me what my horse looked like and it was kind of like pretty rugged like not great looking so um unfortunately probably not as good looking as the horse i'd like but um obviously it can race well so there we go i think i've exhausted pretty much everything i wanted to cover robert do you have any more questions for stewie here or you know any any last viewer questions before we let you go well i just i, I wanted to say like Personally, as a fan of the sport, I think people should be thanking you because I think one of the biggest problems the sport has is people don't race enough. They're afraid to lose. You make things much more interesting. I mean, you're one of the world's best runners, and you're at one point we're rabbiting Joshua Cheptegaard to attempt a world record. I mean, it's just you do a lot for the sport, so it's appreciated at least by me. So keep up the good work. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks. Yeah. Oh, what, all right. One last question here from Thinking Trap before we let you go. Brisbane 32 Marathon. Yes, I know. You in? Uh, I've actually spoke about it. I think I'll be 37 at that point. So, um, I'm not sure. Um, I'm final, I'm final year university as a teacher. So 
hopefully at some point I actually get a real man's job and I'm working at a school. But I kind of spoke about whether I would kind of get to LA 2028. Um, I'll be, yeah, I'll be 33 at that stage, retire for a year or two, and then try and make a last hurrah for 2030. Uh, sorry, 2032. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. I'd love to. I think a home Olympics would be amazing. Um, obviously, we had a home Commonwealth Games in 2018, um, which was next level cool. So, um, I would love to. I guess we'll have to wait and see. I don't know if my body can survive to 37, but um, yeah, I definitely have thought about it, and um, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's not a chance. So, um, I think we'll we'll find out. Okay, that, that's brilliant. So. You got a flair for the dramatic because that's exactly how you do it. You go through two more Olympics, you retire, and then you come out, and it's a big story, and everyone's following it. That that would be great. What about reverse the numbers? Twenty three World Cross. Can we expect to see you at the home World Cross Country Championships? Um, a hundred percent. Um, I was excited for it next year. Obviously, COVID didn't allow. So, 2023, oh, 100%. As long as I'm healthy and everything goes to plan leading in, I'll be there. Um, I think we're going to have an amazing Australian team. Um, so I'm excited. Obviously, in Australia, it's not often we get a world level um, championship down this way. So, to have it on home soil, I think, um, the best Aussie guys are going to be turning out. And I think it's going to be an exciting and pretty cool event for people to to come to and be involved in. And yeah, I'm definitely hoping to be there if everything goes to plan. Can you get your buddy Ingebrigtsen to go? Because he he raced it last time. I also think he he's. Uh, yeah, I think it, I think he he obviously talked about that he wants to come to Australia. I've, I'm still working on getting him over for the domestic season. Um, I'd love to have him down here, come down and train with us as well. Um, so I'll be working on him. I'm hoping if if it does go ahead, he'll come down because obviously he raced in Denmark. So I think there's a good chance he'll come down and race the World Cross Country in 2023. So. We'd love to have him down here. I know there's a lot of fans of his down here as well. So um, a lot of people would be excited to have him down here. So uh, fingers crossed, he does come down for 2023 World Cross. Yeah, I feel like more pros should try the Australian circuit during the winter because, you know, you can either run into a track in these cold European or American cities or you can go down and it's the summer and it's nice and, you know, it's not too, you know, it's a little low-key. Rudisha did it a few times. I know Centro did it, so... Maybe you get more pros going down to Australia, though. I guess with the quarantine stuff, it's going to be tough. Yeah, I think we'd have to we'd have to wait until the quarantine finishes. But once that's gone, I don't think there's many better places in the world to train. So I'm actually surprised more guys don't come down and avoid the European, the American winter, and kind of enjoy the Australian summer. So hopefully, we can kind of kind of get a few more guys down once quarantine's done over the next few years, which would be kind of cool to just have them down here. Even if they're not racing, just training would be cool having guys down here. Yeah. All right. Well, Stewie, thanks so much for for joining us. And, you know, congrats on a terrific season, those Australian records. It was great watching you on the Diamond League circuit. And hopefully you survive the next 11 days in isolation and can get back and enjoy the Australian summer. Really appreciate it. You got to get that 5 and 10 records. You can have them all. Uh, I'd love to. I think. Um, I think over the next few years, I definitely try. Want to try and knock them off. I think I've got a lot of, lot of improvement over those distances. So I would. I would love to. Um, but obviously, we've got a lot of other guys coming through on the Australian circuit. So I wouldn't be surprised if a few guys start knocking off my records as well. But um, yeah, it's exciting time for Australian distance running, um, and I'm just happy to be one of the guys that is kind of trying to push push Australian distance running to the next level. Great. Thanks so much, Stewie. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, guys. Cheers.